break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 11th of June, 2021. Happy to be back with you. Plenty for you here in the show. As always, we're going to be talking about France, Russia, and the Central African Republic. We're going to be talking about Congress and its relationship with policing here in the United States. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we're going to be starting with the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan that is continuing apace. According to the Pentagon, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan is over 50% complete and on track to meet the withdrawal deadline of September 11, 2021. According to Al Jazeera, at this point, Turkey, with 500 troops in country, has the largest foreign military contingent left in Afghanistan. As the U.S. presence is rapidly coming to a close, it's causing a range of dominoes to fall all around the region, giving some window into what a post-war Afghanistan might look like. Earlier this week, there was a diplomatic row that erupted in Pakistan after a flurry of stories detailed talks between the U.S. and Pakistan to establish U.S. military bases in Pakistan to keep some sort of offensive presence in the broader Afghan region. Pakistan's foreign minister was forced to deny that that was going to happen publicly in a move that seems to ensure that the U.S. won't have any real military presence in the immediate region after it withdraws. President Biden is set to meet with Turkish President Erdogan next week, and it's widely rumored by media outlets all around the world that Turkey is going to use its role in relationship to Kabul's airport as a bargaining chip and other matters. Hamed Karzai International Airport is the central link connecting Afghanistan to the outside world. Foreign embassies, aid agencies, businesses, and so on are concerned that the airport may not be able to operate without Turkish protection, and it is expected that Erdogan may try to force the U.S. to back down on its opposition to them, Turkey, taking Russian anti-aircraft missiles in exchange for Turkey agreeing to stay and help at the airport. However, the Taliban has said that they oppose this, although that may be a bit of a smokescreen. In their statement on the issue, after saying they want Turkish forces to leave the country, they also said, quote, Turkey is a great Islamic country. Afghanistan has had a historical relations with it. We hope to have close and good relations with them as a new Islamic government is established in the country in the future, end quote. The issue with the airport is most of those worried about it are worried about the airport getting caught in the crossfire of post-withdrawal politics. It's clear that the Taliban controls the majority of the country and that the so-called government rests on a much more narrow base and almost certainly can't hold out very long against a determined Taliban offensive. The Taliban is making a number of moves that show they are trying to set up a fait accompli on the ground to lead the next government decisively. On that front, I should say, they are militarily at least seizing territory left and right to make it clear who really has the strongest hand, but they are also clearly moving diplomatically to secure support for a government that may have some coalition element to it by bringing in some people from the current government, but that will mainly be led by the Taliban. And those diplomatic efforts have been directed heavily towards China. 
Taliban officials have approved several Chinese development and economic projects in the country and apparently have told the Chinese and other international delegations that they have no interest in the Xinjiang issue. The Taliban understands that China really is key, and China has been speaking out more about the need for stability in Afghanistan. China really is the only country with good relations with all of the neighboring countries in Afghanistan, and their ascent, China's ascent that is, is going to be key in the Taliban being able to gain broad regional and international legitimacy for the government after the U.S. leaves. And knowing also that the Turkish presence will help in that, clearly their statement on the issue left the door open to Turkey remaining, just in a new framework that they, the Taliban, assent to. All of this happening is as clear a sign as any that the U.S. withdrawal is real and happening, and other forces are moving to shape the future of Afghanistan after U.S. troops are gone. Well, the U.S. Congress, interestingly enough, decided that they didn't want to just let the issue of policing fall totally off their radar. Just a few weeks ago, Congress blew past their self-imposed May 25th deadline to agree to a bipartisan bill that, at least ostensibly, would address the issues of police violence. The negotiations being led by Senators Cory Booker, Tim Scott, and Congresswoman Karen Bass became bogged down over whether or not the bill should be totally symbolic or contain at least one or two things that might be seen as positive by advocates against police terror. Controversy erupted between the two parties this week as Booker tried to steal a march on Republicans, circulating a new draft bill that included two provisions that Republicans have been dead set against, but that surprisingly got the approval of the Fraternal Order of Police, the so-called union that represents most police officers in the U.S. Booker clearly had been secretly negotiating with them and hoped, or it seems at least, that he hoped that with the support from the cops, he might be able to break the logjam over qualified immunity and federal prosecutions of police officers. And those are the two big issues Republicans were against in the previous drafts of the bills. But instead, Republicans erupted in anger and recruited the National Sheriff's Association on their side to blast the draft bill and the FOP. And these two issues have been major sticking points really since the beginning of any negotiations around the possibility for anything around policing in Congress. Qualified immunity is a legal provision that insulates individual police officers from being responsible in civil court for their brutal actions. So now the big settlements that cities often conclude with victims of police terrorism are paid out of public money. Repealing qualified immunity for police officers would mean they could be held personally liable and essentially be bankrupted. The second issue would lower the threshold for when federal prosecutions could be used against police brutality. Traditionally, groups like the FOP had been 100% against both provisions for the obvious reasons that cops don't want to go to jail or lose anything at all for killing people for absolutely no reason. They want total immunity in all ways. Politics, it seems, though, is intruding a bit. Both parties, and at least it seems, the FOP want to be able to agree to something. Republicans, despite blasting Booker's draft, were at pains to tell the New York Times that a bill will definitely emerge that everyone can agree to. None of the three really want to make major changes to policing, that's obvious, but they all want to look like they did something. Democrats are, of course, concerned because they've prominently sold themselves as a party that will in fact address police terrorism and racism. They are clearly worried that a bill that is clearly just rhetorical with zero substance will expose them for not really being committed at all. They need to find something to hang their hat on. The FOP is undoubtedly feeling similar pressures. The reality is that in the cities with the largest police departments, there also are the strongest movements calling to defund the police. And it clearly isn't really sustainable for their ideological hegemony to be seen as totally resistant to all change. And they also, it seems, are looking to 
hang their hat on something. Republicans are also in a deep bind. They've made one of their main selling points that they are pro-cop and think that the cops do essentially nothing wrong ever. But they also don't want to be seen as completely against the desires of essentially all black people in the United States that something be done in some way to rein in police terrorism. Qualified immunity and the prosecution issue are emerging as the key elements of it because while there's little evidence they would have a major difference, they certainly do open the door for individual cops to get hit a lot harder in their wallets and with possible jail time, which clearly the police do not want. So it serves a goal of essentially keeping the system the same while at least implying that the consequences for police terrorism should be higher. Republicans are clearly just posturing here, looking to get Democrats to weaken a bit on both issues, and then they, it seems, almost certain, will sign on to a bill that probably doesn't look too different from Booker's draft. Both sides then will then undoubtedly tout it as a major win. They'll have a big bipartisan-looking Rose Garden signing ceremony where, true to the mantra of the Biden presidency, nothing will be fundamentally changing. been quite a week in the Central African Republic. The prime minister submitted his resignation. France withdrew its military presence. The government arrested a alleged French spy. And there has been a Russian online meddling scandal as well. And as you may have already guessed, all these things are connected. The Central African Republic is one of the poorest, most underdeveloped countries on earth. 71% of the country lives in poverty, and the economy is primarily subsistence and small-scale agriculture with a lucrative but fairly small mining sector, mostly in diamonds. The country is a former French colony and a central cog in France's neo-colonial African network. Central African Republic, or CAR, has been caught in a multi-sided civil war since 2013. For our purposes here, what's important to know is that the current president, Faustine Tuadera, who has a dubious electoral mandate but does control parts of the country, is locked in a dispute with the former president, Francois Bozizé, who has united a number of rebel groups that control significant other parts of the country as well. Tuadera governs with the support of the United Nations, that has 11,000 troops in the country, by the way, and previously with the support of several hundred French troops as well. However, the government and France have been at odds for a few months for a range of reasons, but a major one being that France has accused the government of allowing Russia to run an online quote-unquote disinformation campaign against the French presence in the country. Facebook, last December, for what it's worth, accused both France and Russia of running a campaign against their terms of service, Facebook that is, to influence the election that took place at the end of 2020. The current government has indeed been growing closer to Russia, seeking their help primarily in building up their military capacity, along with more help from Rwanda, Angola, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Despite being underdeveloped, CAR is very rich in minerals of all sorts, and clearly France is not keen to see Russian companies be allowed to compete with their previous colonial-style monopoly. Undoubtedly, they are also probably not that happy to see the current government getting support from SADC countries like Angola and DRC, since the SADC, that's the Southern African Development Community, is at least behind closed doors, critical of Western military deployments on the continent. In light of this, it is even more interesting to see that Carr this week arrested a French national and accused him of supplying unnamed rebel groups on behalf of unknown forces. The clear implication, though, given the circumstances, is that they are accusing France of promoting the rebels and trying to pursue regime change. All this goes to show that while countries like Carr are not on the radar of most people in the West, it, like many African countries, 
are on the front lines of the conflicts that will shape the global balance of power in the 21st century. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 